This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 312. Welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where we empower and inspire you to run a marathon and change your life. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this episode, we celebrate the 10-year anniversary of the podcast and take a look back at why we started the show and what we've learned along the way. Plus, Angie will tell you how to stay motivated in your training. So we're going to go ahead and jump right in since it's a special episode. First of all, Angie, congrats on 10-year anniversary. And the same to you. (laughs) It's been a great journey. Did you ever think that we'd make it 10 years? I didn't think we'd make it 10 episodes. (laughs) (laughs) That's because when I pitched it to you, you thought it was just another one of my crazy ideas. I did, and I had never listened to a podcast before. Basically had a very vague idea of what they were. And yeah, I thought it was just kind of another one of your passing fads or phases. (laughs) So we had no idea what the response would be when we first put together the episode. That very first one was called, do you remember the name of it, Angie? No. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't do my homework clearly. It was a long time ago. It was called Why Run a Marathon? And it was then from episode one that we started pondering this theme of will running a marathon or training for a marathon change your life? And I was a very new runner. And when you talked about the distances that you were doing just for training runs, it was still like unfathomable for myself. Yeah, I think back to where I was in my running at that time, I had only run two marathons. And at that time, I was newly pregnant with our third son. So I was kind of looking ahead to several months of kind of unknown, like how my running was going to go. And right from the start, people started downloading the show, listening to it, reaching out to us given us positive feedback about it, and just this audience developed. And that's what has kept us motivated. Yeah, I think hearing your personal stories has been the best part of it. Just the different running journeys that everyone is on and that they've shared with us definitely keeps us inspired and excited for what the future holds as well. So I'll tell you what we want to do. We're going to play a portion of episode one. It's funny because when I listen to it, Angie, I don't think you've heard it, but it was a lot slower paced. (laughs) <laughs> like, just sort of chill. Then. I think we recorded at the time at our dining room table. Yep. Um, we were both sharing a mic, kind of a fairly cheap mic. I'm, I'm sure it's going to sound really cringy. Well, how about we'll just go listen to it right now? All right. Sorry in advance, folks. <laughs> <laughs> this is Marathon Training Academy, Episode 1. Angie, your voice sounded so young and innocent. <laughs> Sound like a baby. <laughs> Hello and welcome to MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. We are here to empower you to run a marathon and change your life. In this episode, Angie talks about why run a marathon. And in the quick tips section, she's going to give you some pointers for running in cold weather. So Angie, how was your run this morning? Well, actually, it was my rest day, so I got to sleep in a little bit. Oh, lucky you. Uh, But yesterday was Saturday, and I ran 13 miles. And even though it was cold outside, it still felt good and had a good run. Wow, 13 miles. That's like half a marathon, isn't it? Right. You just go out and do that for fun. (laughs) I didn't even know. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Okay. That's not fun for me yet, but I'm not not at uh, the point you are. Well, you will be someday. All right. I'm eating my heart out here. (laughs) Some reason I felt like the theme song needed to be really long and loud. (laughs) 
Let's jump into our topic. Why run a marathon, Angie? What, unless they want sore legs, why should they run a marathon? Well, people will decide to run marathons for many different reasons. For some runners, 26.2 miles is that distance that they want to conquer. It just, you know, wow, it has that wow factor. Some people are just looking for a new challenge to take on in their lives. And, you know, others are inspired by other people who have done a marathon and they think, they can do that, I could do that too. And some people want to be part of a running community. You know, there's active, healthy, goal-oriented people. And, you know, the, the bottom line, and it comes down to training to run a marathon is going to change your life. And that's we the still take believe that. Today. <laughs> that's right. We want you to know that running a marathon and training for one is a life-changing experience. Yeah, I've had many people tell me, you know, I could never do that. And in a way, they're right. They never could run a marathon with that negative mindset. I personally believe that anyone can run a marathon if they want to bad enough. Um, your mind is the strongest muscle that you have, and the human will can conquer anything. So if you set your mind to running a marathon or whatever it is in your life, you can accomplish that. Um, mm. There are many people who complete marathons that are in wheelchairs, people that are up in their 80s, people who have had a limb amputated and are running on a prosthesis. Um, there are people who have overcome cancer and accidents, heart attacks, and, you know, many other challenges. So there are really very few excuses why you can't run a marathon. It just all comes down to your, your mental attitude and your, your willpower. Yeah, I, I still agree with everything that baby that Angie words. is saying. <laughs> <laughs> Wise words, baby Angie. <laughs> I think baby Angie should make, like, guest appearances. <laughs> I have to bring out the small voice. <laughs> yeah, has your voice changed or maybe it was just the microphone we had back then? Maybe so. I don't know. Maybe it was something to do with the pregnancy hormones or yeah. who knows? Maybe your voice deepens over the years. Yeah. We have to call you Manji now. <laughs> I don't think it's quite that bad. Maybe in another 10 years. So what you were saying back then, you've really seen come to pass in your own life because when we were doing this episode, you'd run like two marathons and now you've done 63 yeah, that's right. It's more true today than it was back then. People go into training for a marathon with different sets of challenges. And I think we've been able to hear from people through the years who have overcome so much and are living out what we were talking about there, that attitude and mindset are extremely powerful. All right, let's, let's let it play a little more. And find the payoff factor of why I need to do this, why I want to do this. And it goes a long way. So what can you tell us about payoff factor? Well, obviously training for a marathon is a, a huge goal to take on. Mm -hmm. But it does provi provide a big payoff or that fulfillment factor like you were talking about. Um, some of the things, the payoffs will be that you'll experience positive physical, mental, and emotional changes in your life. Well, that's great. And probably all of us need to make some changes. Perhaps you wish you were in better shape or had some more mental toughness and were able to problem solve better and just push yourself to get things done. Or maybe your self-image, self-esteem needs um, some help and you haven't been thinking real positive about your life. And Does it sound like I have an accent? It sounds like <laughs> kind of like a Southern preacher, actually, <laughs> if I listen to it closely. It I wasn't trying to. This is when we were living in Missouri. We lived there eight years, so and I guess it kind of washed over me. in running a marathon? <laughs> Well, like we've been talking about, training for a marathon, you know, is, is a big challenge. But along with that challenge, if you stick with it, it has the potential to increase your lifespan and also improve the quality of your life. 
Um, some of the things you might notice physically could be weight loss, better posture, and increased strength, just to name a few. There are several lifestyle changes that may be necessary to include in your training for a marathon, and some of those include following a proper diet. You've got to fuel your body if you expect you know, good results out of it. Another thing would be to eliminate extra body fat. It's just going to help you run better, <clears throat> and that may be just be kind of a side effect from doing all that running and exercising as you'll lose weight. Another thing would be to stop smoking and avoid heavy drinking. Those would be two things that would really hold you back physically. Another thing would be to get adequate sleep. And obviously, if you're training for a marathon, you're exercising regularly. And, and those things have been found to just add years to your life. So this kind of training automatically lends itself to a healthier lifestyle and a healthier you. Definitely. But it's a lifestyle change because when you are training, and you can tell us about this, for that length of time, your whole life is pretty much going to revolve around doing this. Exactly. It's not something that you just decide to do on a whim because there are some serious... I kind of do that now. (laughs) (laughs) All my marathons are on a whim. But I know what you're saying, baby Angie. Thank you. You're trying to say that it's a huge time commitment, as our dear listeners well know. That's right. I mean, if you want to train well for it, like Angie does, she's down here slinging around weights every morning. (laughs) That might be a slight exaggeration. Wearing out the treadmill. All right, let's keep going. Well, what about an emotional payoff? Talk a little bit about that. Well, they found that people who run are actually happier because they have that release of the endorphins in the brain, um, also known as the runner's high. Oh, yes. So kind of those feel-good, happy chemicals that are released in your brain when you push yourself physically. And so this, you know, can cause a feeling of well-being, can lower your stress levels, increase your self-esteem, improve your mood. Those things are all great. And, you know, running is just a very healthy outlet for stress and other negative emotions that we all deal with. I've always heard you say when you go out to run, you can think really clear. My dad has told me that, too, because he's a marathoner. Now, I'm not a marathoner yet, and when I go out and run, my mind is nagging me to stop telling me, you're crazy, don't do this, why are you put me through this? So tell us a little bit about how that works for getting out and running and, and being able to kind of get away from stress and free your mind. Well, for me, once I get into that rhythm and you know, my body is kind of almost like on autopilot and then my mind is free to disassociate and you know, problem solve, you know, dream, just think about what I, whatever I want to. And for me, that's you know, lowers my stress and is a positive. What are the, I don't know what that pause was all about. (laughs) (laughs) It's a positive (laughs) cut. (laughs) My editing skills were not as good, but the thing that you last said about disassociating and using running as a way to relieve stress, that's pretty much the same thing you do today, 10 years later. Yeah. I guess I'm a creature of habit. (laughs) (laughs) And it still works. It does. Yeah, I would say that everything that we're talking about is as true today as it was 10 years ago. Yeah, not because we're saying it, but just because it is true. And running is magical. It'll always be there for you. And it keeps delivering for you year after year. What are the mental payoffs of marathon training? Well, it's been found that running, you know, long distances increases your resilience. You know, we've talked about physically, emotionally, and also mentally, It can build confidence in your life. You can think, wow, if I can go out there and run 13 or 20 miles, I can have confidence to tackle other things in my life that seem hard. You know, it also can improve your mental clarity. You have that chance to think and 
to just problem solve or just relax, you know, really while you're out there. And so running can be a passion, not just exercise. And it can be a place where you find peace and solitude. And it carries over, I'm sure, after you've accomplished a long distance run, just knowing that you did it. And what else can you do if you put your mind to it? Exactly. You know, in a marathon, you don't run to beat others, really. Instead, it's more running to achieve a personal victory. Mm. You know, it's kind of hard to explain to non-runners why you would pay money to enter a marathon to what they would think of as abusing, you know, your body. But anyone who's crossed that finish line understands it's, you know, part of the mystique of a marathon. Everyone who crosses that finish line is a winner just because of the intense discipline that you've put yourself through just to get to that point. So it's, it's very gratifying. Very, very wise words, baby Angie. And Southern Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that is a little soundbite there from episode one, which came out February 24th, 2010. So we've done 312 episodes since then, and I was looking through all of our back catalog. We had about 124 guest interviews with all kinds of runners. We've had nine Olympians on the podcast through the years. We've had best-selling authors, coaches, CEOs, doctors, scientists, race directors at various marathons, world record holders, ultra runners, and of course, many, many everyday runners who are just out there getting it done, and people in our community, listeners of the podcast. The oldest guest that we've had on the show is Ed Whitlock, the Canadian runner who ran a sub four-hour marathon at age 85. Unfortunately, he's uh, he's now deceased. The youngest guest, I believe, other than having our kids on here and there for just a soundbite, but the youngest interview we did was with Nicholas Tuchek, who was 11 years old at the time. He and his dad were on the podcast because he was the youngest runner to complete a marathon in all seven continents. That's right. And I think they're from Pennsylvania, interestingly enough. Yeah, that's right, where we are now. <laughs> And from my best count, we've done about 58 race recap episodes. Our first recap episode was episode 32 when I did my first half marathon. So think about that. From the time we started to the time I did my first half was 32 episodes later. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, I was a, just a newbie at running when we started. You guys might know this story, but when I pitched Angie the idea to start the podcast after she said, what's the podcast? She said, if we do this, then you have to start running. Seriously. <laughs> so throwing down the gauntlet and I started doing it sort of as a question I was pursuing in my own mind. Can I learn to love something that I currently hate? Because I hated to run. And the answer, of course, is yes. I've totally made this a part of my life. I've done 17 marathons now, the time of this recording, and tons and tons of half marathons and 150K. But I don't know how much running was involved in that. <laughs> I think people remember the laying down part of your race creek app more <laughs> yeah. than the running part. Yeah, I'm still a lazy runner, so 10 years has not changed that. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely part of my life now, and I couldn't imagine living any other way. So I got into running just sort of as an experiment to see if I can learn to love something. Angie, for those that don't know, why did you get into running? Well, I had run a bit in high school, mostly as a way to try to get in shape and you know, with my teenage self, I was like, oh, I've got to lose weight and get in shape. So I'm going to start running. It seemed like the quickest way to accomplish that goal, but it was nothing ever that serious. It was not part of a, a team, just on your own. Just on my own. I never really did sports growing up, so I didn't think of myself as an athletic person. In fact, I considered myself pretty uncoordinated. <laughs> um, it was actually in 2007 that I started running seriously. I did a couple of 5Ks and it kind of just like ignited this fire in 
me this competitive spirit that I didn't know that I had. And I kind of started to realize like, wow, I could be an athlete if I wanted to be an athlete. I don't need to be stuck in this mentality that I'm not athletic. Um, I don't need to limit myself. And so after doing those 5Ks, I thought I need a big challenge. I'm going to run a marathon. (laughs) And it seemed like a big deal at the time because you didn't run. I didn't have any friends who were runners. I didn't know anyone who had ever run a marathon personally. It seemed like a goal that was pretty far out there, yet still achievable. Um, and, and just kind of something to help give me something to kind of change my identity. Um, and we had two little kids at home at the time. And so for me, getting outside and being able just to think thoughts and have no one say mommy a million times a day was very <laughs> valuable. <laughs> I remember back then we were so broke that your mom gifted us the race registration for your first marathon. Yeah, we worked for a nonprofit at the time and could barely make ends meet. And so it was either buy a pair of running shoes because I didn't have running shoes or the race registration. And so, yeah, my my mom, quote unquote, sponsored me for my first marathon. <laughs> That's pretty awesome, though. And it speaks to the power of the distance. When you really wanted to get out of sort of a rut that you were in and bring some new definition to your life and change your identity, And you thought of what's the hardest thing that I could do, just a a huge challenge to tackle and a marathon came to your mind. And it still, it still feels that way, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it's still a huge challenge, even all these years later. I think that's one of the things that keeps people coming back to long distance running. There's always that element of challenge. It's always pushing you to become a better version of yourself. And there's so many payoff factors, like we were talking about in episode one, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, all those payoff factors, it just keeps you coming back for more. Through the years, I've had the chance to ask a lot of people what got them into running? So we're going to play a little game here called Guess the Guest, where I'm going to play a soundbite from a well-known guest that's been on the podcast. And as they're telling their story of how they got into running, um, try to guess who they are. And if you can't figure it out, we'll give you some clues, okay? So here's the first one. So let's start at the beginning. Take us back to how you started running, for those that don't know your story. Yeah, so I got to go back to 76, 1976, 77. Back then, there was what we thought was a running boom. Frank Shorter wins Olympic gold in 72, comes back and wins Olympic silver in 76. Got a lot of publicity and running started, you know, what we thought was a running boom taking off. And I was one of those people. And I needed a life change. I was leading a bad lifestyle. I wanted to get in shape. So I thought running would be the way to do it. And I just started running in the morning and I never thought I would fall in love with running the way I did. And I just, I just loved getting up and going out for those runs. I thought two miles was a long way to run back then. I thought, wow, two miles, that's, that's a long way. Of course, now it's a little bit different, but you know, we all start somewhere. That's right. I really wish I had a selfie of my first run and of course we didn't do selfies back in 1976 <laughs> but i can tell you i had on cutoff jeans i had on a belt on those cutoff jeans i had on like a budweiser t-shirt i had these white socks that came up to my knees and they weren't compression socks back <laughs> they were just bad white socks and some beat up what i thought were running shoes which really weren't running shoes 
Uh, but we all start somewhere. I know if I had that photo, uh, it would be priceless to see. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, but, yeah, I don't run in cutoff jeans anymore and Budweiser T-shirts. That's changed a lot. But, you know, I just literally just started running a mile, two miles, and thought that was a long way to go. And then eventually my brother, older brother George, challenged me to a race, 10K race. And uh, after I did that 10K race, I was hooked. And I think it was a combination of challenging yourself in the race. I, I love that part of it. It's just you against the clock. You know, you can be good enough to win races and, and push, you know, if you're at the lead pack. But most runners really challenge themselves. And it's you, your hard work versus that clock. And that's a cool payoff. You're not judged by anybody but yourself. And I fell in love with that. And then uh, what I didn't know is how intoxicating the running community is until you're immersed in it and realize that, you know, they became my best friends and uh, doing these group long runs. I mean, it's just changed my life forever. Okay, could you guys guess who that was? He was the chief running officer at Runner's World before he retired and went to hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of races in his capacity at Runner's World. And still goes to races. That's right. Author of the book, My Life on the Run. If you haven't guessed it yet, it's Bart Yasso. Just an all-around great guy. And we've had him on the podcast, I think, three times. Okay, you're playing Guess the Guest. Doesn't really roll off the tongue, does it? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do the next one. I guess for those that are not familiar with your story, could you take us back to the beginning and just tell us, how did you get started in long-distance running? Um, when I was, uh, you know, started with my early life when I was 12 and, and my dad encouraged me to run a mile a day and I found that a totally transformational experience and it helped me through many things through my teen years in high school and um, then at Syracuse University how they had no sports for women there. So I asked the men's track coach if I could run on the men's cross country team and he said not officially but I could come and work out with the team where I found me as a 20 year old among all of these scholarship guys, a totally welcoming environment, which I found really unique in sports, you know, sort of gender free, very motivational, very positive. <clears throat> One of the volunteer coaches was an ex-marathoner who was 50 at the time. I was only 19 and he helped encourage me to run and, um, and helped train me for the Boston Marathon quite inadvertently at the time. He was an ex-marathoner, had run Boston 15 times, and would regale me with stories about the Boston Marathon. Wow. Arnie, right? Arnie. He's such a likable character when you read about him <laughs> in the well, book. He is, he is and wa was, no, well, he's passed away now, but I mean, he was a total love and, and a little bit of a meek, milky, toasty guy, <laughs> Except when he ran, and then, of course, he ran like a tiger, you know. Yeah. Um, but he felt heroic when he ran the marathon, in Boston in particular. And he, here he was, really, he was he was just a mailman, you know, who slept through the snow every day. But he lived for this one day in his life when he was the hero in his life. And that was the Boston Marathon. So, you know, we were training, and, and of course, that's everybody knows the story about how he was telling me another Boston story. And I said, well, let's quit talking about it and run it. And he said, but a woman can't do it. It's women are too weak and too fragile. <laughs> okay. This lady is well known for something that she did at the Boston Marathon. Famous bib number 261. This is back before women were allowed to run the Boston Marathon, but she did it anyway. And the race director tried to throw her off the course. Who are we talking about, Angie? Catherine Switzer. That's right. Well, let's do the next one. 
could you could you maybe take a minute and explain that that story for anyone who might not know it? When, the, the decision to take up running again when you were thirty. <laughs> well, Trevor, I blame it all on bad tequila. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, you know, I literally uh, was in a bar on my thirtieth birthday in San Francisco. Um, you know, doing what we all do on our thirtieth birthday, right? I was drinking with my buddies. And 11 o'clock at night, I told them I was leaving. And they said, hold it, you know, where, where are you going? It's it's your birthday, it's, you know, your 30th birthday, and let's let's get another round of tequila. And I said, no, no, I'm going to go run 30 miles tonight to celebrate my 30th birthday. Wow. And they looked at me and they laughed. They said, no, you're not a runner, you're drunk. I said, yeah, <laughs> I am drunk. I, I am, but I'm still going to do it. And I, I literally walked out of the bar and uh, ran all night, 30 miles. And that, that run changed the course of my life. Uh, and to be honest, I'd gone through college and gone through graduate school and, you know, I went through business school and had an MBA and had a, you know, this, this cush corporate job, you know, with all the perks and incentives and everything. And, um, you know, all the things that I thought would bring happiness, uh, didn't bring happiness at all to me. I, I didn't, I didn't like my life. I didn't like who I was. All the kind of material things didn't mean anything to me. And I just think it came to a head on my 30th birthday, and, and that's what prompted that run. Kind of had an early midlife crisis, huh? Yeah, I guess you could call it that, a, a definite midlife crisis. And, um, again, it's uh, it's more uh, tequila-inspired than anything else. <laughs> we actually had that gentleman on the podcast maybe three times in the past. His nickname is the Ultra Marathon Man. We are talking about, of course, the amazing... Dean Carnazis. Dean Carnazis. Step right up, folks. We're playing Guess the Guest. Okay, here's the next one. Let's start off with uh, take us back to the beginning and, and tell us how did you get started with this, this whole running thing? Well, it really was uh, an escape uh, from my childhood. And, and as I've talked to people about the book, I, it's become more apparent to me that, see, I had nine nine siblings. And we were in a huge house in a tiny town in upstate New York. And my father was the savior family doctor in the community, 22,000. But he was um, the savior by day. And uh, my, my, oh, some of my sisters, I have six sisters. And um, he was a sociopath. Hmm. And uh, he was one of those rare individuals who didn't want his children to exceed him. Wow. He, he actually competed if you, you look back, and I think people who, if they do the reading, will, will kind of sense, he, he tried to, not only did he abuse physically, mentally, and sexually, unfortunately, with regard to my sisters and perhaps some of their friends, he uh, was um, a master manipulator and would constantly be pitting children against each other and creating, in essence, a prison in the household. And my mother, the way to put it there was, she told me when I became an adult, she said, you know, I never left the house anymore after you were about five, six years old, because every time I left, something bad would happen. And so, you know, that's what we knew. But I think at about the age of five, during one of the beatings, um, he would come home late at night. We never really saw him. He never went to any of our childhood activities. I don't think he ever read a report card. I don't think he ever went to a school parent-teacher conference. But he would come home late at night sometimes drunk, sometimes not, interrogate my mother and then come up the stairs and we would have to wait to see who he was going to drag out of the room and beat up. That sort of gives you an idea of what it was like. Um, at about age eight, I had started a pattern of spending time at my friend's houses. There was a YMCA up the, YMCA up the street, a great place, all sorts of activity. And I found 
motion and being outside and, and being other places and being active was comforting for me. It was a release. And then I realized at about age eight, I was starting to run <laughs> to the YMCA, to my friends' houses. And uh, it just, I discovered running. And what I discovered was I love moving across the ground that way. Went out and ran this morning and I was thinking about our talk today. And I was thinking, you know, it's the same now. I'm slower, but I just love moving this way. And so in essence, I started running a stress relief when I was eight years old. And, and the way I put it, when I was out there on the sidewalk, my father was not a, um, um, an athletic person and I felt safe. You know, I just had this feeling, whatever the feeling was, even though I was a little kid, he can't catch me. And so that's how I got into the running. And I had no idea that it was going to carry me anywhere other than around the town. Okay, I'll be really surprised if you guys know, just from listening to the voice, who that last guest, but maybe, you know, never underestimate the intelligence of our listeners. We've got a lot of running nerds in the audience, so be proud. <laughs> That's right. But um, yeah, he was the last American to win gold in the Olympics at the marathon level. 1972. The Olympic Games were in Munich, Germany that year, and we're talking about Frank Shorter, and he was talking about uh, his book, My Marathon. I mean, it's it's a very heavy book because he talks about the abuse that he went through. His dad was very abusive, and then, you know, he kind of found running as an outlet and went on to Olympic glory. So here's the next one. So for those that haven't heard your story um, about how you got into running, can you kind of take us back to the beginning? Absolutely. Um, I was, I think I was 14, and... Uh, my best friend lived right across the street from us, and his stepfather, Todd Faulkner, was a was a runner. He would do lots of. I think he was in his sixties, maybe he was mid fifties. I don't know. When you're a little kid, everybody seems way older. He was yeah. probably like. <laughs> but he asked his stepson, Chris, my friend, if he wanted to do a 10k with him at the Coliseum, and this was somewhere around the time of the LA Olympics in 84, I want to say. I could be making a lot of this up, but since you don't know any better, just with it. We're just going to go with uh, it. <laughs> and my friend Chris, a very tall kid, loved basketball, but so he could sprint, but he absolutely was not interested in running any long distances. So Todd invited me. Wow. And I don't, I don't think I had run a half mile on my own, you know, like without stopping. Uh, but as soon as he asked me, I said, yes. So I just started running and our house was right near UCLA. And so I just started running and I would run around U UCLA and I would run up and down the, uh, steps at Drake stadium. And when you're a kid, there's just nothing you can't do. So I love that. And then we did the actual 10 K I think the most I, I trained for is probably two or three miles. And we did it. I remember being halfway out uh, and just thinking like, Oh boy. Uh, and then I was pushing it and pushing it. And then it became like, can I finish faster than than uh, Todd? And that moment is, was exactly what I wanted it to be coming through the tunnel and the crowds. You do like a lap around the track and then you, you cross the finish line and cheering and people are giving you oranges and putting the finishing medal on and everything. So I was this was an activity I knew that I would enjoy for the rest of my life. All right. So that was actually outside of the running world, someone who is well known for being in various movies, movies that I like, by the way, like Lord of the Rings and The Goonies. When I think of my childhood, the 1980s, I think of the movie The Goonies. Like, that was it. Chunk and Sloth and all those. You've never even seen the movie, have you, Angie? <laughs> I have. I don't think it made quite the impression on me that it obviously <laughs> did on you. <laughs> but, of course, more recent years, Stranger Things. 
Stranger Which Things. Which our kids watch now. That's right. We're talking about... Sean Astin. Sean Astin. That's right. We had him on the podcast three times. So um, for those who aren't familiar with your story, kind of tell us how you got into running because you started at a fairly early age. Yeah, I feel fortunate to have found my passion in running at 11 years old, but it was um, after failing miserably at a bunch of other sports. And I, I, I say that a little bit joking around because I think I just wasn't engaged in any other sports. They didn't capture me um, in, in any capacity I made dandelion necklaces in the outfield of softball. I scored a goal for the other team in soccer. <laughs> I was um, extraordinarily ungraceful in ice skating. Um, so to be out running on the trails of the Santa Monica Mountains, I found myself immediately. It was a, a love at first run. Mm. And it sounds like, you know, you really were pretty competitive, you know, I mean, to go from not really caring that much about the other sports to really having some drive and determination for someone so young. I think that's what's really extraordinary. Yeah. And I think when you find something that you that you enjoy and that you're passionate about, it does kind of bring to the surface a competitive nature um, because I don't have that in anything else. Like I don't care if I lose at cards or board games um, in, in sports. I don't care that I'm called clumsy or awkward. But when it comes to running, it's um, it's really my heart and soul. And I can take criticism, of course, but I really do try to elevate myself when I'm out there in any capacity I can, whether it's running faster or smarter or just enjoying it more, I'm always trying to find ways to, to cultivate the success of any given run. All right, we're playing Guess the Guest. Does anybody know who that last voice was? She's an Olympian, a coach. She had a book uh, that came out a couple years ago, a fantastic book called Let Your Mind Run. We were talking about Angie the Amazing. Dina Castor. That was Dina Castor. That's right. We need to get her back on the podcast. Yes. All right, next voice. But for folks that don't know who you are, can you maybe take us back to the beginning and how did you get started in ultra running? Well, before I became an ultra marathoner, I was a hunting and fishing boy from northern Minnesota. And to be honest, I really didn't enjoy running. I, you know, I dabbled in it, tried to do a little bit of junior high, ran a little bit of track. And I was decent at running, but I really didn't like it. And I just used it to get in shape for other sports. In fact, it was like my sophomore or junior year in high school when I was getting ready for the, the ski season that I needed to do something to stay in shape. My coach was like, well, you can roller ski, you can bike, you can uh, roller blade and run. And the only option I really had, I couldn't afford any of the other uh, <laughs> modes of uh, training and uh, running was my thing. So I just, you know, each day I would go out and you know, go two miles down the, the road and then next day, just kind of keep plugging away and just further and further. And by the end of the summer, I was running eight miles at a shot. And I, again, it wasn't something I really didn't find a passion. I had all the problems, the side aches, the runner trots, you know, the things that everybody when they start gets into. But it really wasn't until I found trail running that running made more sense to me or, or it seemed like something rather than, you know, drudgery or just kind of like, OK, you got to put in your hard work uh, mm -hmm. to stay in shape. It, it really struck a chord when I started finding trail running and, and realizing getting ready for ski seasons, uh, following years, getting on the trails and then running my first marathon a month later, running my first 50 miler. So it, it kind of just was this, uh, I guess, uh, resistant path to running, so to speak. It wasn't like I fell in love with it right away. All right. That was a guy that we were trying to get on the show for years because we'd read, uh, about him in born the run. We'd read his book, eat and run. Yep, and then he runs right by our house on the Appalachian Trail before we move here, actually. <laughs> Sets the AT record. We're talking about the ultra marathon legend, Scott Druck. 
and he is the only guest to date who has recorded an episode with us, obviously on Skype, but with his baby son strapped to his chest asleep. That's right. He was holding the baby. Didn't drop it a single time either. <laughs> He's got that magic touch. And we got one more soundbite for you. One of the guests that I've enjoyed having on the show. He's always such an interesting guy to talk to. I'm going to play that for you right now. You can try to guess who it is. So for those very, very few runners who have never heard of you before, um, give us uh, a history of how you got into running. Yeah, I, I like to tell this story because I think a lot of people can relate to it. Like I used to hate to run, so I think a lot <laughs> of people are in that same boat, you know. Um, I was in baseball, basketball, and football. And then, uh, I mean, so I had a natural ability. So like in PE class, like I could run a fast mile, but I didn't like it. I didn't have fun. I didn't want to do it. And I remember my dad, he would always tell me, he's like, you know, you can be a great runner if you want to be, but the choice is yours, you know? And I was like, okay, I don't want to be a great runner. I just want to play baseball, you know? And, uh, and then I was just going down to a basketball game one day. I was in eighth grade. I was 13 years old in my hometown, Big Bear Lake in California. And um, I just felt like God was just kind of challenging me to run around the lake in my hometown. It was 15 miles around the lake. I'm glad it wasn't longer than that. Otherwise, I might still be out there. <laughs> um, That's a long ways, though, for a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And you hated for to run a, first a mile. Run. And then you get this, this inspiration to run around the lake. And that's 15 miles. That's... That's a lot of faith. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. But I'm kind of glad I started out that way because then right off the bat, like, you know, 15 miles was such a big run that everything else after that, like when I actually started training, seemed short, not that big of a deal. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like now I'm coaching uh, our local high school cross-country team, and then I wrote a winter training plan for all the kids so they can keep running year-round. And it gets up to like a 15-mile run, and they're like all intimidated by this 15-mile run, you know? And I'm like, it's no big deal. I did it my first run when I was 13 years old. Like, you can do it. So a lot of it is just like running is just wrapping your head around – what is possible for you mm. and changing the way you think about how you define hard is how you're going to experience hard. Like if you wow. think running 40 miles a week is hard, then it's going to be hard. Like if you think, Oh, that's just normal, then it still might feel hard. But in your mind, you don't like think of it as like, Oh, this is so crazy what I'm doing. And like, I know we're going to talk about this a little bit later on, but like, it was like when I took on the world marathon challenge after retiring, you know, 20 years later and it seemed like, Oh man, this is insane. Like 180 miles in a week, like marathon after marathon. But then I remember this guy sent me his book and he wanted me to write an endorsement for it. It's, I think it's called Iron Cowboy, and he did 50 Ironman triathlons in 50 days in 50 states. So yeah. I read that, and like it just changed my perspective of what is actually like crazy. You know, I was like, yeah. oh, seven marathons in a row, like that's no big deal compared to what this guy did. You know, so yeah. so much of running is about perspective and being able to shift your perspective as you go. All right, now that one, he's the fastest half marathoner from the U.S., currently retired, and actually, I'm going to go run the Jerusalem Marathon with a group that he's organizing, he and his wife, who is also an elite runner. We are talking about Ryan Hall, Olympian and 204 marathoner Ryan Hall. 
And we have all of our back episodes from all of our guests, all of our race recaps, and every other show that we've done going all the way back to 2010. Um, Inside the Academy, you can get it uh, if you're an Academy member. If you want to uh, find out how to join, just visit our website, marathontrainingacademy.com. We have something in the website called the Podcast Vault, which has all of our back episodes, and you can download them or stream them and also search them really easy. We now have like a search function where you can just type in what you want to learn about and boom, all of the episodes that cover that topic um, come up. So yeah, it's pretty slick. Very good. Well, in just a moment, Angie wants to talk about how to stay motivated in your training. Before we do that, we'd like to give a big word of thanks to one of our longtime sponsors. I think they've been sponsoring the show for five or six years now, and we're talking about UCAN. That's right. We started using UCAN back in 2003. So we used it for at least a year or two before they started sponsoring the show. Just experienced the awesome benefits of having steady energy without the blood sugar highs and lows that can accompany some fueling products. And also it settled really well with our stomachs, which is a big plus, obviously, if you're training for a marathon. Actually, I just heard from a listener not too long ago named Brooke, and she was reaching out to thank me for some advice that I'd given her about using UCAN bars. She says, I committed the cardinal running sin, which is not doing anything new on race day, and used the UCAN bars during my marathon at the Jacksonville Marathon since I didn't have a chance to train with them beforehand during a long run. I felt strong to the finish, looked forward to eating them, and felt like it broke down the race into chunks by eating half a bar at miles 5, 10, 15, and 20. Anyway, I just wanted to say thank you. It doesn't hurt that I finally got that BQ2. Nice. I ran a 335.51, which is four minutes and nine seconds under my BQ time. And so congratulations, Brooke. And we're so happy that the UCAN bars helped your fueling routine and really made that BQ possible, gave you the energy you needed. Yeah, that's an awesome email. So if you want to give it a try, go to Generation UCAN. That's U-C-A-N, generationucan.com forward slash M-T-A. And use the code M-T-A-10. That's M-T-A-T-E-N. Since this is our 10-year anniversary podcast, use the code M-T-A-10. You will save 15% off your order. Or if you're a new customer, you can use the code MTA25 and get 25% off your order. Once again, that's generationucan.com forward slash MTA. We've been talking about how we got into running, how other people that we've had on the podcast have gotten into running. So we thought it'd be a good idea to talk about how to stay motivated because, you know, we've been doing this for 10 years now and we don't have any plans on stopping. I mean, perhaps we'll be here again in another 10 years to do a 20 year anniversary show. Who knows? (laughs) I might want to be retired by then. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be pretty young. (laughs) But uh, when it comes to running and just keeping yourself in this sport, Angie wants to share some tips on how to stay motivated. Yeah, I think the topic of staying motivated is especially pertinent this time of the year. So we've just finished up basically two months of 2020, and research says that the large majority of New Year's resolutions are abandoned by the end of January. In fact, (laughs) I thought it was really funny, Strava calls January 19th Quitter's Day after looking at 800 million activities on their site. That's like when people's activities like suddenly drop off. January 19th. January 19th is Quitter's Day. It doesn't take long. (laughs) So if you've made it this far, high five, you're doing amazing. You can keep on keeping on. But the truth is that a lot of those shiny new goals that you set may be starting to look a little less pleasant. In fact, they probably just look like plain old hard work. And so we definitely want to give you some encouragement to keep going 
when the going gets tough, because it will get tough anytime that you're in the midst of marathon training. The first thing to remember is that you won't feel motivated all the time. Now that probably feels like the biggest duh statement of all time, but I think sometimes we tend to assume that everyone besides us has loads of motivation and that somehow we got the short end of the stick, that we're the only one who is struggling. And I'll say that even though working out is one of my favorite things to do, I do still struggle with motivations at times. And I think it's liberating when you realize that you don't actually have to feel motivated to get it done. Some days you need to remind yourself of your personal why in order to refocus your mind. That why is what's going to keep you going when the going gets tough. And you don't have to feel like it. You just have to do it. Staying consistent with your training builds you into a physically stronger person, but it also gives you more mental toughness when you push through those moments when you don't feel like it. And I think we've all heard the saying that you never regret doing a run. However, I just came across a news story a couple of days ago about a trail runner named Joseph Oldendorf. He was running in Olympic National Park in Washington, which we love, beautiful place. We were there last summer. That's right. It was early evening, and he fell and broke his ankle on a trail run. At the time, he was wearing what the news reports called light clothing, and the temperature soon dropped below freezing. And of course, in that area, his cell phone had no reception, so he ended up crawling on his hands and knees for eight hours. The news report said that his hands and feet were shredded raw until he got to the point where he was able to get cell service and call for help. Yeah, I remember we had zero cell service when we were there. So the poor guy crawled all through the night. Thankfully, he's recovering well and he's in good spirits. But I just mentioned the story because it's very possible that he regretted that run. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that he's all right, man. That's rough. Me too. But who knows? Maybe he doesn't regret it. Now we can tell the story, right? Yeah, I mean, what else is going to build more mental and physical toughness than that? He can, like, one-up anyone who has a bad run. I know. <laughs> like, well, I crawled for eight hours through the dark in the freezing temperatures. Might even get him free drinks at some places. Yeah, you never know. The next tip is that consistency will get you better results than passion. It's definitely important to be excited and passionate about your goals, or you probably won't be invested in making them happen. But since you won't feel motivated all the time, it's important to cultivate consistency in your life. Consistency is that thing that says, I'm a runner, running is what I do, or I'm building a strong body, strength training is what I do, I'm a healthy person, choosing good nutrition is what I do, I'm an example to others, they need to see me achieving my goals, I'm doing this for me, that's why I keep promises to myself. Those are all examples of things that will keep you consistent. And consistency is going to look a little bit different for each person and in different seasons of life. For example, Back when we first started the podcast, I ran before daylight in the morning um, because I had to do it before Trevor left for work in the morning. And I also attended regular yoga classes at our YMCA. And that was the consistency that I had built into my routine. Right now, I run after getting the kids on the bus and we have a workout space in our basement so that I can strength train and do yoga consistently at home. And that's what works for me now. The key is to build in as much consistency into your workout routine as you can. This may mean that you pair it with certain activities, such as maybe you go to the gym before or after work so that it's part of your routine. Yeah, and of course, there's something to be said about racing consistently because I found that having a race on the calendar keeps me running. There's a lot of days where I, I probably don't feel like doing anything, but I know, ooh, I got this race coming up. Better get the training in. Yeah, that's a great point. Having something on the calendar that you're working towards is great motivation 
to not slack off on the days that you might not get in your run. And then don't be afraid to change it up. Yes, it's important to develop consistency in your training, but if something isn't working for you, you may need to change your approach, not just give up. Maybe you need to interject some fun. Maybe you need more accountability. Maybe you need the guidance of a coach. There could be many different things that you need to implement. But if something isn't working for you, then you need to figure out what will. There really isn't a one-size-fits-all approach that works for every single runner. Ask yourself how you can enjoy your run or your workout more. Think about some ways that it can become one of the best parts of your day instead of something that you may dread. So maybe this involves listening to favorite podcasts while you work out, or even buying yourself some running or gym clothes that make you feel good. And don't forget to celebrate your progress, even the small things. These small things could include things like having the fortitude to run outside in inclement weather. You know, give yourself a pat on the back for doing that. Maybe it's having a positive attitude during a treadmill run, because it can be mentally tough. (laughs) Being able to hold plank for longer than you did last week. Maybe a small thing is finishing that final mile strong. Or figuring out good fueling during your last long run. Maybe it involves adding more weights during your strength workout. Or your clothes fitting better. Or energy that results from a good run. Don't forget to celebrate those small things and the progress that you're making. And finally, find your people. There's so much research that supports the benefits of finding your tribe and surrounding yourself with like-minded people. Even the most introverted runner will find that running is simply better when it's shared in some way with others. So that may mean signing up for your first race, joining a local running club, getting involved with Park Run, volunteering at a kid's running program, or maybe even finding an online group like MTA. So yeah, a lot of the sparks of inspiration that we get or ideas, like certain races that we train for or challenges that we take on, we get these ideas from other people, like people that have our same values and are embodying the life that we want to live. And I think of, you know, Angie, when she was on the bus on the way to a marathon and these ladies talked about the 50 state club and she's like, wow, I think I can do that. So it sparked an idea, right? That's right. Yeah. Surround yourself with people who are achieving what you want to achieve, have achieved what you want to achieve. It's awesome to see people who've been members for years and years who are just, you know, models of consistency. They've been through ups and downs in their running, but they're in it for life. You know, this is just part of their lifestyle. Yeah, we definitely want you to think about being a lifelong runner. We really believe that you can continue running long distances up into your 70s and 80s. Yeah, if it's something that excites you, then... Yeah, this is something that you can do the rest of your life. And there's many different avenues to pursue running. It doesn't always have to be the marathon. Uh, There's so many other distances, trail runs, obstacle course runs. There's so many different ways that you can be part of a running community that it really can adapt to wherever you are in your current journey. And we love to help you stay motivated in your training. If you want to train with us in our awesome online community, you can learn more about the Academy and what membership and coaching involves when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. And if we can help you in any way, just let us know. We're here to help. You can send us an email through our contact form on our website or send us a message through Facebook and Instagram. We are at Marathon Academy. Thank you for being a listener to the podcast, whether you have been listening since the beginning or if you just found us, it's awesome to be on this running journey with you. Well, that's it for now. You guys are awesome. Until next time, remember you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life.